Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to this earth 2,000 years ago to provide hope, to provide life, to provide a sense of joy as well, because we live in a world that is broken in so many different ways. But we thank you, Lord, that you came to defeat sin, evil, and death, and to pass that victory on to us. Lord, now as we open the scripture, I pray that you will give us a greater understanding of who you are, but even more so what you are doing in this world, not just 2,000 years ago, but here today, because we know that you are still active, that you are at work, and I pray, Lord, that as a result of our time together today, that we will stand more in awe of the work that you are doing, and that you will be glorified for it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are talking about church. And specifically, we're talking about church from the 30,000-foot level, the big picture of what God is doing in and through church. Now, many people have different perceptions of what church is all about. In many people's minds, church may be a building, or it may also be an activity that you do each week. And for some people, church is part of that weekly activity. It's part of a routine. It's just part of what they do. They eat. They sleep. They, they go to work. They go to school. They go to church. It's just part of that routine. But more and more in our culture, church is something that people opt out of. They choose not to make church a part of their routine. And for many different reasons. For some, they just don't really care about church or God or Christianity. For others, they, they just oppose any sort of organized religion. And, and for others, though, church is something that they say is important, but their schedules would tell a different story just because they are so busy. They say church is important. They say God is important, but they aren't really prioritizing it with their schedules. Yet there are still others for whom church is something that, that they just see as vital to their lives. They cherish their involvement in a church family, that church is a place where they receive encouragement and friendship and where that helps them grow as followers of Jesus. So church is many different things to different people. But today, I want to look at the big picture of what God is seeking to do through the church. And I'm speaking today about the church, not just about individual churches like Frieden's Church, but the church as a whole, global, worldwide, all Christians around the world who are worshiping Jesus. Because many times in the Bible, when we see reference to the church, this is what it's referencing. It's not just talking about, you know, one manifestation of the church, like here at Freedens, but it's talking about the church, of what God is doing among Christians throughout the world. So that's what I want to look at today, this big picture. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians originally was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus, if you were to visit it today, is just ruins now. But it's magnificent ruins. It's near the western coast of Turkey. And this letter to the Ephesians has been divided into six chapters. And it can be seen really as two different halves. The story of two halves. The first half of the book of Ephesians is deep uh, theology. I mean, it's, it's, it makes our heads spin sometimes, and this passage is the same. It's deep. It's kind of hard to get our minds around sometimes, but it's deep truths about the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what God has accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so the first half of Ephesians is deep theological truths about the gospel. And then the second half of Ephesians that we will be starting in two weeks is applying the gospel to our daily lives. The second half is very practical. And so Ephesians shows us that gospel truths lead to gospel living. 
And today's gospel truth is that God designed the church to display the glory of God. The church displays the glory of God. Look with me to verse 1 of this passage. Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And in many of our Bibles, we have a dash there. Now, have you ever had those times where you're praying and you're trying to focus on God and all of a sudden you find your mind off in left field somewhere? Any of you ever had that? I have too. But we are in good company because Paul experienced that as well. We see evidence of it right here in Philippians or in Ephesians chapter 3. Because he starts off, he, he wants to pray. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he ends, off, ends up going into a tangent. And he comes back to his prayer down in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And then he gets into the prayer. But what happened is that he, he was so excited about what he was talking about back in Ephesians 2, about God uniting Jews and Gentiles to worship God as one body, that then he was inspired to pray. And so he starts to pray, transitions, and then he goes off to, into this tangent. So today we're looking at this tangent that Paul went into before his prayer. And so this is basically a prayer sidetracked. And we were looking at the sidetrack today because, you know what, sometimes our tangents actually are pretty helpful. They're good things to think about, good things to ponder, good things to learn from. And that's definitely the case here in Ephesians chapter 3. So we were looking at prayer sidetracked. Now let's look at this whole passage in verses 2 through 13 is this tangent that Paul went on. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So this passage, it's, it's a lot of depth here. I mean, it can be hard to get our minds around. But this passage highlights... God's glorious work through the church. God's glorious work through the church. Now, there is a word here we need to understand if we want to know what Paul is communicating. It's the word mystery. We see it multiple times in this passage. For instance, verse 3, Paul talks about how the mystery was made known to, be my, to me by revelation. Verse 4, he says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. 
Or down in verse 9, he talks about bringing to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So we have this word mystery. And as you're reading through this, it might seem kind of mysterious of why is this word mystery here in this passage? What is, what's it talking about? Now this was written 2,000 years ago in the language of Greek. The Greek word for mystery is mysterion. So you can see the connection there. But words change over time. And the Greek word mysterion has a slightly different meaning than our English word mystery. I mean, mystery is a word that oftentimes is accompanied by this sense of puzzlement or, 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 or perplexity of, of we're looking at a situation or looking at something and we're like, I don't have any idea how that happened. Oftentimes the idea of a mystery is something kind of dark or something kind of scary. It might be the mystery of a crime or a mystery about a house that seems haunted or um, it's a mystery perhaps of... And just something that we can't explain. Maybe a tragedy of some sort that's just confusing of what in the world happened here. And so for us, a mystery is something that's hard to explain that leaves us just perplexed. And oftentimes it's kind of sad or kind of bad or we wish it didn't happen. Now back in that world, the, the word mysterion has a slightly different meaning. It, it means something that previously was hidden that now has been made known. Something previously hidden that now has been made known. So there's similarity between the ancient word and today's word. But it's not entirely the same. Because mysterion is not something dark. It's not something scary. It's just something that, that previously was not known. Maybe it was something that was even secret to everyone but, but the person who held that secret. But then it was made known. I think, for instance, of August 18th of 2004. That's me and Shelly on the day that we got engaged. August 18th was the day I'd been planning for for a while. And Shelly, I mean, she knew that I was going to propose sometime. I'm glad for that because, you know, I don't think people like to be completely shocked about a proposal that comes. So she knew a proposal was coming sometime. But she did not know the circumstances of how that was going to take place. But I was planning for it for a while. I took my roommate to the diamonds, to the jewelry store for camaraderie because, you know, a, a young guy going to a jewelry store is kind of daunting. And so we learned about the three C's of, of, of diamonds and stuff like that and all kinds of different stuff. And so I planned. I got the ring and planned out exactly how the proposal is going to go. I, I planned out details along with others of, okay, how are we going to get her to my apartment because there were other plans already in place. How are we going to get her there? She didn't know that there was the ring kind of hidden in the couch cushion so I could pull it out at just the right time. She didn't know these details. It was a mysterion. I mean, it wasn't a dark, scary secret, but, but, but it was a secret, though. It wasn't dark and scary. It wasn't perplexing. It was just a plan that I was putting in place that she did not yet know. It wasn't yet revealed. But then... As I started talking about the future a little bit, started talking about my love for her, got down on one knee, pulled that, um, that ring out of the couch, which something I didn't plan on was that she was sitting on the cushion where the, where the ring was. <laughs> got her move a little bit, got the ring out of that couch. And, you know, it all unfolded. The mysterion came out into light. But that's the idea of what mysterion is. It's something that previously was hidden that now is revealed. Here in this passage... God's mystery, his mysterion, is that Jesus unites Jews and Gentiles as God's people. Look with me to verse 6. 
says this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So we talked about this in detail last week. That back in, in the Jewish mind, there were two categories of people. You had Jews, then you had everyone else. And everyone who was not a Jew was labeled as a Gentile. And the crazy thing that was taking place through Jesus and in the early church, according to God's will, was that Jews and Gentiles were no longer separate, but they were going to be united together on equal ground where they could have equal opportunity to have a relationship with God as God's people. Now, for the Jews, that was shocking. That was not a pleasant surprise for them. Because to them, the Gentiles were heathens. They were the enemy to be opposed. And here, the Apostle Paul is carrying this message. that No, through Jesus, Jews and Gentiles have equal opportunity to relate to God. They have equal confidence in God's presence through faith in Christ. They are united together as one body. And this was something, again, that was shocking. Now, it says here in this passage, verses 4 and 5, Paul says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed. So that's referring to this mysterion. In the past, people didn't really perceive the fullness of what God was going to do. There are hints. If you look down through the Old Testament, you can find a handful of times where God hints that God is going to bless the Gentiles through the Jewish people. But they were hints. And the Jews did not get that hint. I mean, the hints were few and far between. Uh, and people, you know, they were just like we are. We have selective hearing. Where, you know what, we, we naturally grab on to things that we like to hear. And if there's something that we really don't like all that much, we try to ignore it. And that's what the Jews were doing. They did not pick up on the fact that the Gentiles would be blessed through the Jews. And especially, there was no way that they could have known that not only would the Gentiles be blessed by God's work through the Jewish people, through the, through the Messiah, Jesus, but that they would be united together as one. That was part of that mysterion that was not revealed until after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And then God revealed it through his apostles and prophets, like the Apostle Paul. And so this passage is in large part about Paul explaining this mysterion, this, this, this plan that God had put in place long ago. It says that he had been, that he, this was according to his eternal purpose that he has now realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a plan that God had put in place that Paul is now communicating to, to here the Ephesians, but now it's to all of us. That God's uniting diverse people in unity in terms of worship in Christ. And again, the Jews did not like this very much. Shelley, she, I think, liked this mysterion that was now revealed. She liked the idea of two becoming one in marriage. The Jews thought this was a terrible idea. They thought this was a terrible marriage because they did not want to be brought together with the Gentiles. And we can see in this passage a hint of how much they disliked it because they put Paul in prison. Verse 1, it says, that For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, he is in prison as he writes this. Why is he in prison? It's because the Jewish people did not like all that he was talking about, about the Gentiles being part of God's people now through Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapters 21 and 22, that the Jews got so worked up 
because they disliked Paul saying, you know what, God is blessing the Gentiles. The Gentiles are now part of God's people. They have equal access to God through Jesus. Jews did not like that. So they stirred up a riot and ended up getting Paul thrown into prison for that. But, but that's how much they disliked it. But what's happening is that God is making a new people. Just soon after Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, Christians in the early church started referring to themselves not as Jews or Gentiles. They started referring to themselves as a third race, a new race known as the church. And the church consists of people of all different backgrounds and all different ethnicities gathering together to worship God through Jesus. And what we see in this passage is that God is displaying his wisdom and his glory through the church. This is part of the big picture of what church is about. It's not just about gathering here on Sunday mornings to sing some songs and learn some knowledge and have some tasty food and talk with a few people and then leave. I mean, that's, those are good things. But the big 30,000-foot view of church is that God is doing something to bring together diverse people from different backgrounds and different ethnicities to worship him. Look with me to verse 10. It says that God is doing this so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. There is something that God is doing to display his wisdom and his glory that will make people stand in awe. And specifically here, it's making angels stand in awe as they witness what God is doing through the church. You know, think about it with me for a minute. There is no other group or community or organization in the world that is like the church. Because most groups, most organizations, most businesses, most uh, communities are based on nationality. And there are some things that extend beyond one nation, whether it's, whether it's international corporations or, or some other uh, just organizations, nonprofits, stuff like that, that extend to other types, uh, other countries. But the church exists in every single country in the world. I mean, you think about that for a minute. In Mexico or in Venezuela or in Brazil or in Ethiopia or South Africa or Saudi Arabia or Greece or England or Germany or Russia or Vietnam or China or Japan or Australia. We could go on and on. There are Christians worshiping God. The church transcends culture. I mean, in a way that no other religion does. And it's bringing people together to worship God in unity with one another. I think, for instance, of some of our missionaries. We support a bunch of different missionaries around the world as a church. I think of Brian and Dana Phipps, for instance, who've been serving in Turkey for the last 25 years as missionaries. We've been supporting them for the last 25 years, and they are now uh, leading their third church plant that's in Ankara, Turkey. I love this picture just to see Turkish people from a very Muslim country gathering together Kind of waving to us, I guess. But, but they are worshiping Jesus. People from all nations, all ethnicities, all backgrounds, God is bringing together in worshiping Jesus. They, you know what? If you flew to Agra, you could join them in a worship service. And even though there are a lot of differences that we have with them culturally, we'd be welcomed in with open arms because of our common faith in Christ. I think of myself, and, and I've had the opportunity to worship in churches in several different countries, Bulgaria, China, 
um, and in Brazil. Those are some of the most special worship experiences I've ever had because it's a little glimpse of heaven. It's the opportunity to worship with people of other ethnicities, other backgrounds, people who, I may not speak their language very well. And we may have a lot of other differences in our backgrounds, but we have a common faith in Christ. And because of that, you know, I'm embraced by that church family. I get to worship God together with them. I, I think my favorite thing in those circumstances is they have some songs that I know as well. They, they, you know, transcend culture. They're singing them in their language, whether it's Chinese or whether it's Portuguese down in Brazil. I don't know those languages very well or much at all. But you know what? Because I know the songs, I sing them in English as the rest of the congregation is singing them in Portuguese or in Chinese. And it's just such an amazing thing to worship God with people of other cultures. And that's a part of the beauty of what God is doing through the global church is uniting people from a variety of backgrounds so we aren't in this for ourselves, but we're in it for God's glory, united with Christians from around the world. And coming back to this church in Ankara, um, I, I opened a couple of uh, Brian and Dana's update emails uh, just a few days ago. They send them quite frequently. It's really encouraging. And one of their recent emails talked about this renovation they're doing at their church. They're doing a renovation like we're doing a renovation, but they, they have office space that they're renovating because you saw that picture. They're kind of maxing out the current space. So they're doing this renovation at the church, and this was just under a week ago that they wrote about this. They said, we're back in Turkey now um, because they'd come over here to America briefly for a son's wedding. And they said, our most, most urgent task is to complete the church remodeling project. Praise God that church in Wisconsin is generously covering all of our construction costs. One day this space will seat 65 to 70 people in downtown Ankara. I thought, I, mean, I didn't read this right when it came. I just read it just as I was thinking about mission stuff for the sermon. It said this church in Wisconsin is providing all the construction costs for this project. You know who that church is? It's, it's us. It's us. It's a little surprise, isn't it, Bob? <laughs> it's us. It's you all. If you give money to our offering on Sunday morning, 12% of everything you give goes to support missions worldwide. And our missions team realized we have some extra money in the budget for this year. Let's give it away. And they, they identified a number of different projects, one of which is this one. So not only are we funding a building project here at Freedens, we are also funding a building project in Ankara, Turkey. And you think about this. I mean, you think about, we in America, what do we have in common with people over in Turkey? I mean, we're humans. I mean, we have other things in common. Uh, but we have this commonality with that church of worshiping Jesus. And if we went there, we would be welcomed with open arms. Not because we are helping support their building project, but because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the beauty of the global church, of what God is doing. And God is transforming lives there. Let me show you a picture. This is from an email that came on Friday from Brian and Dana. So two days ago it came. This is Merva. Uh, probably, I think it's probably a code name just for safety. But Merva, um, Merva came to faith in Christ seven months ago. And Merva, um, I mean, has been growing like crazy. And Brian writes that she has decided to quit hiding her faith from her Muslim family. 
in the next few days, which is sometime around right now, she is going to tell her father that she is a follower of Jesus. In that Muslim culture, that is a big deal. Later on, she, he wrote that Merva has a firecracker personality. She loves memorizing scripture. And most recently, Merva began doing ministry visits with us and following up on internet contacts who request Bibles. This is just a little picture of what God is doing, transforming lives in other parts of the world. Colossians chapter 1 says the gospel is growing and bearing fruit all over the world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you first heard it. So this is a part of what God is doing in his global church. He's transforming lives here. He's transforming lives all around the world. And I think that we need to hear this because it's so easy to get caught up in what God is doing here. It's so easy to get caught up in what God is doing right in our immediate sphere of influence. But we need to have our eyes open to that big picture. God is at work throughout this world. I, I was reading in preparation for this sermon, just, it's, it's a commentary. It's John Stott, a Bible scholar. Um, he was talking about this passage. And, and let me read for you what he writes here. Because remember, chapter, verse 10 of Ephesians 3 says that the angels are looking at what God's doing through this world, this unfolding plan. And they are standing in awe. He's getting glory for what he's doing in the church. John Stott writes, So then, as the gospel spreads throughout the world, this new and variegated Christian community develops. It is as if a great drama is being enacted. History is the theater. The world is the stage. And church members in every land are the actors. God himself has written a play. And he directs and produces it. Act by act. Scene by scene, the story continues to unfold. But who are the audience? They are the cosmic intelligences, the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. We are to think of them as spectators of the drama of salvation. So one of the really cool things when we have our eyes open to the big picture of what God is doing in this world is that our lives matter. We are investing in something that is so much bigger than ourselves. It's so much bigger than ourselves. It goes on into eternity. And what we are part of as the church, and we here at Freedoms are, are one manifestation of God's church. But God's church spans the entire world and it exists to bring him glory. And so uh, we, I hope that we understand this morning that church is central to God's plan. You know, it's easy, especially in today's America, we tend to be very individualistic. It's easy to personalize our faith so much. I mean, we talk about a personal relationship with God. And by all means, it's important that we are walking with God personally, reading the Bible, praying, seeking to grow ourselves. Even though our, our relationship with God is to be personal, it's never to be private. The church is central to God's plan. It helps us grow. Tony Evans, pastor, he talks about many Christians... And I think this could be true of churches as well, could be seen as cul-de-sac Christians. If they have a cul-de-sac, it's basically a dead end. You flow in there, but it looks like kind of a dead end. And he says many Christians and many churches even are like that, where God's grace flows in, but then it stops there. You think of the Jews. They, they were kind of like cul-de-sac people, where they wanted God's grace and God's blessing for themselves, but they weren't really that interested in sharing it with others. Tony Evans says we are not called to be cul-de-sac Christians. We're called to be conduit Christians. A conduit is what things flow through. 
that God's grace and God's blessings flow into our lives and then should flow through us into the world around us. That is what ultimately brings God glory. And so my prayer for us is that we will stand in awe of what God is doing around the world. That we will prioritize our involvement in this local manifestation of the church. And that we will be growing in the process. But that he will be the one getting the glory. Now here at Freedens, we are in a very exciting time. I mean, talking about the local manifestation of what God is doing here. When we saw the building project overseas, we have a building project going on here right now. We have a new pastor, Pastor Michael, our pastor of youth and young adults. He will be here next Sunday with us. His wife will join him the following Sunday because she has a, a, a bridal shower, or not a bridal shower, but a bachelorette party for her sister on Sunday. Um, so Katie will join us the following week, but Michael will be here with us next week. That is exciting, what God is doing there. But it's exciting to see the work God's doing in the church family. It's exciting to think about the building project as well. Now I want to invite up uh, four people who are involved in this building project. This morning we have the groundbreaking ceremony. And um, I want to invite up Rose Morgan, Gary Schlenvo, to Bruce Barr, and Mike Dow. I can invite up a ton of other people as well who are involved in this project. But today we have a groundbreaking ceremony. And these four in particular have been involved in leading this process over the last two years. We have been in process for two, over two years now that's leading us to this day. I mean, you can see out there, uh, groundbreaking is almost a misnomer. Um, in the sense of we've already obviously begun some forms of demolition and also uh, construction just for some timeline topics. Uh, we, uh, we wrote in the bulletin anticipating, but it's false now. We wrote that we have the guaranteed maximum price. Um, we're still working on final details of that. It should come, I think, in the next few days. But that's needed to, to finalize the loan, and then construction will start. So we're still anticipating construction officially starting sometime in the next couple of weeks. But our groundbreaking ceremony is today. And uh, what's going to happen? I mean, we're doing most of the talking about that in here. And then we'll go outside after the service. I'll shake hands as people leave the sanctuary. Then for those who are interested, we'll be right out in the front yard and do the official groundbreaking photo opportunity. If others want to stick a shovel in the ground and get a picture, you can certainly do that as well. Uh, we have golden shovels and hard hats. What can be more fun than that? <laughs> and a pile of fresh dirt. So uh, just for you four, if you could just share your name and then share what has been your, the main roles you've been involved with in this project thus far. Okay, I'm Rose Morgan. And um, my involvement started a, a couple years back. I mean, for um, a number of years that, you know, we had been looking, and from leadership board perspective and so forth, we had been looking at things that, that we felt that it was important needed to happen in the church to make it more um, effective for ministry. And so um, it had been 15 years since the sanctuary had been replaced, had been redone, and that was uh, by accident, <laughs> but, but very well planned throughout the process because of the fire, and it had been 30 years since anything significant had been intentionally planned to improve the church. So we started a committee that originally started out as revamping and quickly became a facilities planning committee so that we could plan effectively uh, what needed to ha what we thought was the most effective and, the, and um, just the most cost effective as well uh, to do to the church to improve some key factors. So um, that committee started, uh, came together in April of 2017 
And um, it, in addition to myself, Gary, Mike Dow, Pastor Brandon was uh, Gentry Teslog. And um, so we met throughout that process. I took more than my four sentences. But um, but it's I no think it's important. No one knew that. <laughs> no one knew. No that one know. You I'm just teasing. <laughs> I outed myself here, but I always end up with a lot to have to. But it's good you cast vision for the whole project yeah. as well. I think it's important for everybody to know that throughout that process, we involved a lot of people uh, to make sure that we had a good handle on what was best interest of the church, the things that we wanted to accomplish. And um, the um, other key things that happened in that committee then was bringing on board the architect and working through um, the facilities plan itself through the architect and eventually the schematic plans. So there you go. Thanks. I'm Mike Dow. And when Rose first approached me and talked about revamping the church, as Pastor mentioned in his sermon, I had selective hearing and I thought it was redecorating. And I wasn't that excited about it. <laughs> So I went I home think and you thought about declined first because of that. I actually declined. Sure at, I did, and that doesn't often happen. I went home and prayed about it, and I realized that it was part of a facilities expansion. I became part of the team. And as with any team, you have growing pains, and we didn't always agree in the meeting, but as we left every meeting, we agreed in concept and in word. And through the choice of the architect, the selection of C.G. Schmidt, uh, to engaging CIF construction investors financial with regard to the campaign, a great capital campaign committee, we're here today. And I'm really pleased and humbled to be part of this process and this team. And Mike, Mike led and oversaw the, the capital campaign team as well. I'm Gary Schlenbolt, and I think most of you know that I've been involved uh, as the director of building and grounds here for many years. Uh, I was on the committee that uh, when we built the Fellowship Hall edition in 1989, I uh, was also on this committee with the restoration uh, after the fire. And uh, then now I'm on, I was on the committee with Rose and, and Mike. You never get to leave. <laughs> and now I am part of the, the liaison between Frieden's Church and the construction manager, C.G. Schmidt. So, um, I'm very humbled to be involved in this process, and at the same time, it's an exciting process. It's, it's been drawn out since 2017, but uh, it's going to come to fruition, and someday we'll be able to walk in here, you know, into a brand new entrance and a brand new church. Thank you. I'm Bruce Barr. I represent the leadership board through this process. And I have the distinct honor of reading contracts and signing my name to lots of money things. Um, in fact, I had to read one this morning. Uh, working with these men and women has been an absolute privilege in trying to lead this church where God is leading us, finding the pathway along with him to get us to that point where we have effective ministry. So it's an absolute pleasure. We also have with us this morning Ryan Schmidt. Uh, he's going to be out there in kind of the official photos. Um, if you see him, he's sitting back in the back view right now. He's waving his hand. <laughs> if we would say hi to him, I mean, he's investing lots of time, energy, and expertise. And I mean, for me, um, it's very nice to be at this point in the process, not just because of the excitement level of what's coming up, but also I love that now, even though we as a church and leadership are just still involved in making some decisions, that you have people like Ryan, people like Vince Micah at Kabbalah Washako, our architect, 
through, they've been through this many times before, and they are really leading us through this process now that the main plans have been developed and everything. And so thankful for Ryan. It's just exciting to see what God's doing. And again, thank you to all of you for the, the support, I mean, in so many different ways, uh, including financial support uh, that has made this project possible. Uh, so thank you. Um, I'm going to ask Bruce just to pray for us in a moment, and we're going to close our, our service with one more song. And then again, for those who are interested, uh, the groundbreaking will be right outside, uh, just soon following the service. But there is, as usual, refreshments in Fellowship Hall afterwards. So whether you stick around in there or you can go back in afterwards, by all means, that's still there as well. So Bruce, will you please pray for us? Please join me. Father God, you are an awesome God, a God of ages past and a God for the future. And we praise you for the opportunity to be in the moment with you here in this church this morning, but also as we walk along this path. We thank you for the generations that have preceded us here at Freedon's Church, led by you to found this church, to build this sanctuary, put additions on this sanctuary, all for the betterment of this church within this community as a way that people can find you. Lord, I pray for this project for the men and women who will be working here throughout the time of construction. May they do so safely. May they understand our purpose. May they understand your purpose. May the results of this construction be a place where our children can be safe, can learn about you, can come to know you, believe your word, and be children of our God. For it's the next generation that we need to meet, the next generation for whom we work. We thank you, Lord, for this privilege. Your word says, unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers labor in vain. Thank you, Lord, for this act of faith on this congregation and are looking forward to the future of working with you, following you, along the pathway that you have led Freedoms on so far. We thank you for this day. We thank you for what's going to come. We thank you, God, for who you are and what you are able to do through us. Amen.